Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. Yes, sir. We are graced to have Bob squared yet again, and uh, excited to have both Bobs to do yet another episode to follow up a little more on servant leadership. Before we get into that, as presumably, according to the calendar, we enter into this season that I have very little experience with called fall. Uh, what what does that look like in the are you're you're Bob, you're Bob Bigford, you're like in a, I don't know where you are geographically. Like, are you in the Midwest? Are you in the South? Is there a debate on that? Like, do people get in debates on where St. Louis is? There is some debate, Jimbo. But I think the way we describe St. Louis, it's the westernmost East Coast city. Good grief. That's a long, that's so, a long description. <laughs> I know. That's, it's, it's hard to, you know, describe it. I mean, you come here and if you go downtown, you've got red brick buildings. It looks old. I mean, Jimbo, it is the gateway to the West, right? So back in the day, people settled here and there were all kinds of like parts of St. Louis that were Italian or German, et cetera. And, uh, and so we, we do celebrate fall here and it usually begins after what we call the second summer, which is kind of late August, maybe early September, we get one more scorcher uh, of uh, heat, and then the fall kicks in. And Jibbo, it is delightful in the fall because the leaves turn colors. You've only seen those on Hallmark movies when you're watching with Audria. Yeah. You know, when, when somebody moves to town with the plaid shirt and marries the girl who's frustrated or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. But fall is, is a time for flannels, and it's also a time for Jimbo vests. And mm. I think we've got a wonderful vest uh, this year that I'm going to add to my collection. And I think you're going to, you've already added it to your collection, I believe as well. Yeah. With uh, the replant, the replant team has some new swag, some new merch. If you go to replantmerch.com, you'll see we've got a few, few things there. We have a now, I think, I think this is the most on brand item we have added to our merchandise for the replant team. It is a Carhartt vest, which I, I don't know when I'll get to wear it other than when I travel out of town, but I'm excited about it. Jimbo, I was really excited when you modeled it for me, and I'd like to put that picture on the boot camp uh, show notes if I can, but I'm I'm not sure I'm allowed to. <laughs> so Bumgarner, we got the, I got the vest in to sample to see how it was, and and Bickford said, "Send me a picture." And so I I went ahead and put it on without a shirt and and, and sent a sent him a nice Larry the Cable Guy esque version, which. I submitted that to uh, our marketing team at NAM and told them they should <laughs> add that for the merchandise website, but they said no. Uh, and I and I had to have a four-hour meeting with HR afterwards. But uh, yeah, I think I I think you were okay until you suggested a replant calendar, and then that kind of took it off the rails. <laughs> yeah, we were holding a can of Liquid Death, I think, too. Right, yeah. that water. Yeah, the Liquid <laughs> Death, the, the water that looks like a beer can. Looks like it's not. It's just water. 
yeah, just to add to the effect. Yeah, it wasn't as appreciated as I thought it would be. I think it's a glorious photo. But that is not why we're on here to talk about my gorgeous body, but to talk about servant leadership. Continue to part three uh, with the servant leadership guru, Bob Bumgarner, as we talk about this. So ultimately, one of the things we started talking about last week was not to fall into the danger of being too nice. Really, we weren't talking about being mean or a jerk. We were talking about being clear and being on mission and on point. And so if you flip that, so we want to say, hey, don't be so nice that you allow mission drift and you tolerate uh, mission creep out of just trying not to shake the apple cart. But I want to flip the script on that a little bit today and talk about how to not make it all about yourself, right? So like one of the things we talked about in servant leadership last week that you brought up, Bumgarner, was some diagnostic questions to think about if we're unlevel, if we're at the right place in this. And part of that's even how we respond to feedback and criticism or what what is it? We're tra- are we trying to build something so that our name could be great or are we trying to do something that we feel is something God has called us to and it's important and that the the mission matters more than our name or anything like that? And so as we look at the landscape of leadership in the world right now, we talked last week about an overemphasis of competence. Now, we don't need to underemphasize that, but an overemphasis of competence can lead to just kind of being self-serving. Let's dive a little bit. Bob, help us out. What's the difference between a self-serving leader and a servant leader? Okay, so when you say that, the first thing I think of is Jesus in places, but the Sermon on the Mount said, you have heard it say, but I say. Mm. You know, you have heard it said this, but I say this. He takes it to a different level. Mm-hmm. I think having things in tension like that actually helps us. It gets the clarity there that, that we need. I think that clarity actually creates the tension. So I think if we're going to say there's servant leadership on this side, then the other side of that is self-serving leadership. Okay. And so the tension is, is not between servant leadership and okay leadership. No, the tension is, am I a self-serving leader or am I a servant leader? And the reality is, like I said last time, it's a dynamic state. There are days that I'm a pretty self-serving leader. If I'm not, if I'm tired, if I'm hangry, you know, those kind of things. And so if I'm, if the fruit of the spirit's not present in my life. And so, but I do think that's the right continuum. So there's really like seven or so continuum thoughts to, that we maybe would be helpful at this particular point. And the first one deals with my possessions and my position. And so if I'm a self-serving leader, when I feel like I'm the owner of something, when I'm entitled to it, but I'm more of a servant leader when I feel like I'm a steward of something and it's on loan. I was in a meeting the other day with um, with Tim Maynard, who's the pastor at Fruit Cove here in town, and he's celebrating 30 years of ministry this mm. this January, mm. and he's re- he's retiring. Not retiring, he's going on to the next thing in ministry. But the thing that he introduced himself at the kickoff of the search committee, and he said, "Hi, my name's Tim." I have been the the transitional pastor of this church for 30 years. Mm. And while everybody chuckled, I was so proud for him because in essence, he was saying, I have stewarded this for 30 years. And it wasn't a, Jimbo knows him. It's not a, it's not an exaggeration. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's one. You guys want to add anything to the continuum of owner versus steward? Anything you guys want to say about that? 
Well, I think, you know, as we're listening about this as individuals, I'm also thinking about churches because churches have this posture as well, right? So, Sure. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard churches say my church or our church, a possessiveness mm-hmm. that really leads to the next one in the chart that you're going to talk about. Yeah. So the next one's fear. What's the, you know, what's your greatest fear? If you're a self-serving leader or a self-serving church, your greatest fear is losing your position. And then the greatest fear, if you are a servant leader, is disappointing the father. What am I supposed to do to please God in this in this moment? And I think internally paying attention to what's going on as far as fear. Listen to your, you know, your language. I actually think that one of the greatest things that I observe in succession is that we wait too long to help the next generation embrace their stewardship. I mean, Second Timothy two two doesn't say that it's twenty, you know, it's twenty years, twenty years, twenty. No, it's 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 immediate. You're just continuously doing that. So so there. So pay attention to what you fear. Pay attention to what you fear. A servant leader is open to feedback because really they want to ask the question: How can I be better? How can I serve more? How can I how can my church be better for my community? So they're open and challenged when they receive feedback. And then another one is personal is personal focus. How do you, you know, where where is your focus? If you are a a self-serving leader, then it is it really is all about you. You're threatened by somebody else doing well. If you're a servant leader, then it's all about getting better. So for instance, I mean, Jimbo's on our team and he's an amazingly bright young leader. If I didn't eat my Cheerios on some days, it'd be easy to be threatened by his skill and how good he is at things. But at the end of the day, when we understand that a a self-serving leader really wants the best for their team, for their area, it's much easier to let people who are good at what they're good at be good at that. So it, it really isn't about us. I think on all three of those that you've just mentioned, if you if you look at struggling churches and, and dying churches, even how we see that of kind of that fear of losing their position, uh, I think of I think of churches where I've been asked to coach or consult or speak into the situation, and and even specifically where I've been asked, hey, we we think we need to be replanted right? Or something like that. But the pastor will say something like this, but I need to remain the lead pastor. And while I can empathize and understand why that would be a fear, I think we have to be really careful, right? And we see even sometimes when a pastor is really close to retirement and they're afraid of feedback because they're afraid the feedback is going to result in them maybe realizing that they don't need to continue to be the pastor or they haven't prepared for a transition to go beyond them. And that personal focus, I mean, that's if you had to quantify the primary reason that churches seem to decline to the point of death, it's an internal focus. It's a focused on the preferences and the the desires of the existing, con- serving the existing congregation rather than serving the community through the congregation. And so I, I think we have to evaluate ourselves as leaders. And and like Bickford was saying, even that, let's evaluate the, the culture of churches that we're leading and helping. And how are we seeing, are, are we seeing a culture of servant leadership and that mindset within the church? Or are we seeing a culture of being self-serving? Yeah, I think a, a good example, Jimbo, is the Calvary Network of Churches. I mean, when you walk onto their campus, you feel the servanthood. 
I mean, you you actually you feel the joy. You feel them wanting you to have a great experience, you know. And it's not just Mark's hugs; it's the whole it's the whole thing. I mean, how can I help you? What do you need? And what's odd about that is that if you do it from a servant heart, it's actually energizing. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's not customer service; it's the body set free to be free, <laughs> to be happy, to be what it was in, intended. Uh, to, to segue that the next piece of this continuum would be interpersonal focus. So a self-serving leader is going to undervalue others, undervalue others as people and as contributors. So think about it this way. Do you think that people have to earn the right to serve? I mean, do they have to, are there dues that have to be paid? Then if that's the case, then probably you are undervaluing the people. But on the other hand, a servant leader is always looking for ways to build others up and value others. I mean, I, I bet I bet if we were to have time and we were to list four or five people, you could you could tell me the names of the people that if they were taken out of your life, you probably wouldn't be doing what you're doing now because they built you. I mean, they built you up. They gave you that opportunity. They actually believed in you knowing you would probably fail but they, they helped you see that it wasn't fatal. Mm. Then it, again, now moving from interpersonal to organizational focus, when it comes to the organization, we protect, and we've talked about this some, but we protect our position. You know, it's about Bob being the senior leader or, you know, Bob being the youth pastor or whatever. Uh, so we tend to protect our position instead of making things better. And here's the thing. If you're the person that's always making things better, guess what? Whether you're the official leader or not, you're the organizational leader. I mean, you don't you don't have to have the title to lead. And then finally, this whole idea of the authority and status from a self-serving leader perspective, it's it's the John the Baptist thing. You know, you must decrease in order for me to increase. Or as Stephen Covey popularized it, he talked about abundance mentality. You know, we can both increase. We don't like in other words, the kingdom of God is big enough. There's enough people for us to reach or to there's enough darkness in the world for all of us to do good. And so I, the thing that I, I don't think you want to do with this scale, if people go to the show notes, is to beat themselves up with it, but maybe make a Likert scale out of it. You know, how are you doing? And if there's a, like, I would, to be honest with you, I'd, I would have no trouble sitting down with Jimbo and saying, okay, when you look at these things, give me one thing to work on. What's one thing that you think I can move one notch up on? Mm-hmm. That would probably be a really decent exercise to do. I will tell you that there's two things that I've done that have helped my self-awareness. Number one, when I, work, when I worked on a little bit closer team, I would sit down with Jimbo and I would say this. I'd say, hey, Jimbo, what am I doing that's making your job easier? Mm-hmm. And then I'd ask the question, what am I doing that just makes everything you do so much harder? And then what's the one thing you want me to keep doing? And what I found is we would originally have to schedule that. But then eventually he just realizes I want to know that. And he just brings it to me mm. whenever. But I will tell you the, the scariest one I is, is I went to my wife and I said, <laughs> okay, be easy. I said, <laughs> I said, go easy on me. But what's it like to be married to me? I mean, what what's something that you know, that you, this is your moment. What could I really do better that would make our marriage, you know, 10% better? And she was kind. But honestly, I did that with my teenage kids and I did it with Tina and it was glorious. It was, they were kind and it was glorious and it, it sent a message. So I think we can do that for our teams. Yeah, man, I love this proactive moving forward. I want to become better mindset that that's 
present at First Coast churches and a few Bob and Jimbo, but let's be honest, a majority of the churches that we do consultations with and, and some, most of our boot camp listeners, the, the churches they pastor, they're not asking these questions. Like if we, if we were to just put the chart out there, they're all the way over to the left side, right? So you know, help us understand for the boot camper that steps into a church where, man, it's all about them and what they would lose and that they don't want to compromise and they want to protect and they don't care about the community, you know, care in the sense of their actions actually demonstrating that they care for the lostness around them. What do we say to help that guy who wants to see his church move more towards the right and those call and that those characteristics that would glorify God, bring glory to Christ and uh, help the church be on mission? How do, how do we help them take a couple of steps in that direction? I think that it goes down to working on the bot, the underneath side of the platform. You know, you ask, I, I think our character can keep us, you know, somebody said your competence can take you where your character can't keep you. I think when it comes to revitalization, I think character can keep you there long enough for your competence to actually do some good, but you have to have the long view. And I think there has to actually be resilience. You have to be able to bounce back from the attempts. I think you have to be willing as a revitalizer to experiment with some things. You have to find out who, you just have to acknowledge you may never be the real leader of this congregation for years. And okay, then find the real leader. Who is it? And, you know, lead through them. I do think one of the things that is super important, and it's why we have said don't pastor alone, look at all the people that Paul had in his network. You know, he had Ananias, he had Barnabas, he had Lydia. I mean, I, you just read the, the New Testament letters. I mean, his actual network of people I mean, he, he, Timothy, he didn't, he had Luke, I mean, Mark, he, he, look, think of all the people he had. We think of him as this big stud prophet guy, and, and, and he certainly was, but he didn't do it alone. So for revitalization, don't do it alone. Build your own network. Listen to podcasts, read. Don't think what are the next seven steps? What's a next step? I mean, those would be things that I've, I've jokingly said church planting may cause death by starvation. But revitalization may cause death by a broken heart. Mm-hmm. And and I get it. I've pastored, I've replanted. I get I, I get that. So don't lean on your competence, grow your character, and do what you can where you are with what you have. And then at the end of the day, when you put your head on your pillow at night, thank Jesus for the opportunity. <laughs> so I, I don't think we've done this with you on the podcast before. What a lot of people may not know about you is that Early in your ministry, you were a replanter long before replanting was cool. Man, give us just a short synopsis of that story, but include the school buses because that's one of my favorite parts of that story. So just just give us a short synopsis of your experience as a replanter. So I left seminary with a master of divinity degree. Nobody cared. I went to live in my I went to live in my mother and father in law's basement. A church in Middletown, Ohio, called me and said. Will you come and be our pastor? There were 37 people. 30 of them voted for me. Seven of them didn't. How do I know? Because on my first Sunday there, the guy who didn't vote for me told me he and his family didn't vote. So anyway, there were two amazing things that happened there. Number one, I had no idea what I was doing. I I wasn't strategic. I just knew to preach and love people. And so I did that. And God started doing some stuff. 
we had a parking lot that was all gravel. And so Sherman came to me one day and he said, hey, Bob, we really need to do something with this parking lot and put up a handrail and some things so the old ladies don't fall off the, the porch. And so I said, OK, stood down in front of the church the next Sunday, said Sherman said we need a handrail. It's one hundred and sixty seven dollars. I called the guy. Um, can we raise one hundred and sixty seven dollars? That was huge. So we did. We raised two hundred dollars. I called the handrail guy. He came and put the handrail and something happened in the in the spirit of that church. People would drive by and they'd pull in the parking lot and they would go look at the handrail and they'd go back and they'd get somebody. And here's what I learned. There was that was such a small victory, but it changed everything so that people actually started coming. And so then we we ran out of space. I mean, we had about 130 people coming and a lot of those were kiddos. And so we bought four school buses because we had a typical first unit Southern Baptist building. We hollowed out the school buses, parked them next to the church like it was in a parking lot, put air conditioners and chairs and chalkboards in them. And those buses were our kids' class. I got to tell you, I was a, it was a blue collar church on the, in a mill town. Those people loved that. And I'm going to say those people, those were my people. We loved it. And it was a great way to serve the community, but you just do what you can with what you have. Man, I, I can see a new revitalization book about to be published. <laughs> Our friends from Acoma, Handrails for Jesus, Grow Your Grow Your Church by 100. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and then also uh, maybe we could get Bluebird School Buses to uh, sponsor yes. the podcast and we could uh, find a use for some old buses. And uh, I think the, the eco friendly folks among us, Jimbo, I think the eco replanters, which is a very small niche, I'm thinking they might, <laughs> they might be excited about the repurpose of the school bus. I love it, man. That's, <laughs> it's one of the things that when you meet Bob Bumgarner, if you meet him now, you have a context and you kind of have a box you put him in as a, a sage, a, a wise strategic consultant with great experience and great wisdom that can help you strategically plan your next step. And he is all of those things and has had great experience at Florida Baptist Convention as an executive pastor with great success and great accolades. But I think probably my favorite thing on his resume is that he replanted in a mill town and turned school buses into Sunday school classes. It was fun. Good. All right. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you doing a few episodes with us. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity, guys. Love you guys. All of you, all you listeners. Look forward to seeing you, hearing from you. Let us know how we can serve you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.